This is Minnesota Liberty, brought to you by the Libertarian Party of Minnesota, bringing you peace, prosperity, and freedom from the land of 10,000 lakes. A member of the Libertarian Party, you would go to the same website and find all our information there. So without uh, too much of an introduction, I have the owner, Toby Leonard of Mankato Guns, and tonight we're going to discuss the recently passed legislation of the gun control bills. So let me bring them into the studio really quick. Hi. All right. There we go. Now. Well, yeah, it's um, good to be on here on the podcast. Um, yeah, I'm here. I'm here to talk about the new bill that actually just kind of got passed, signed by Governor Walls on the gun control laws that just got passed in Minnesota. Um, yeah. A couple things just to kind of put this into perspective. First of all, the bill he signed was a public safety omnibus bill, which is automatically wrong. Omnibus bills, if you just throw a bunch of stuff together, is generally wrong. It was 500 pages. He probably didn't even bother to read it, which if you're making laws, you should at least read them. Um, but it was an $880 million omnibus public safety bill. Uh, and it was doing a whole bunch of things, but also it had two big gun control laws that actually matter. Uh, the first one's relative is more of an annoyance. It's the universal background check law. They starting August first of this year, twenty twenty three, um, all sales, including private transactions, with the exception of immediate family and police, um, are you have to have a background check to do the gun sale. So if you want to sell a gun to your next door neighbor. You probably have known them 30 years. You know if they're a felon. You know if they're dangerous. Um, you have to go find a gun shop who will do a background check for you, pay them a fee, and then they will take care of the background check and do the transfer and record it. Um, there's, a, there's some problems with this. Most of them are just annoyance. If you've known somebody forever, why should you have to do this? Second of all, um, there also includes loaning a gun. Many of us Minnesotans who hunt, we've borrowed guns from friends to go hunting. And if you are borrowing a gun at a range with the owner, it's okay. If the owner is there next to you at the range, it's okay. If the owner is in the hunting party with you, it's okay. But if you borrow a gun to go out to the field alone or without the owner, now you have to actually go through the whole background check system. Background check system. And so it's an annoyance on that. Um, it becomes more of an issue when we start talking about some special circumstances. If you're 18, 19, or 20, um, if you're 18, 19, or 20, you can end up with the background check being extended. Under the federal law, if they have a background check for somebody who's under 21, they, first of all, immediately give you a delay. So it's automatically a three-day, three-business-day delay. And they can extend it to 10 days. So nor what normally would be occurring is an 18-year-old could just borrow a gun from somebody and go hunting. Now they have to go through the whole process of going through the background check and getting a delay off the bat, waiting a few days. And it's the ATF counting days. So when I say a 10-day uh, delay, today's Wednesday. So 10 days would count Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or non-business days. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So it'll be just about two weeks before you can get it. 
So it'd be two weeks from tomorrow before you can get it. Um, so it's an annoyance. The problem we also see when it becomes a very interesting one is when Colorado instituted universal background checks about 15 years ago, they started to have problems with police departments. Now, in our bill, police departments are exempt from the law. But what they found out in Colorado were certain police departments would choose not to give back guns and evidence. So if your house got burglarized and they found the burglar with the guns and they knew they were your guns, they would put them in the evidence room. And then when the trial was all over and it was time to return the evidence to the rightful owner, they would turn to the rightful owner and go, we can't do that because we have to do a universal background check. And what happens to that is when you uh, have to wait on that universal background check, they have to go to a gun dealer to do it. Only gun dealers can do these background checks. And so some police departments chose just not to do it. They would keep the guns. And eventually, after a certain time period, they become abandoned property and the police department would keep it. So it gave a weird incentive for police to just not give back the guns and they could either sell them or keep them for their own use. So there was a, a few problems coming up with universal background checks popping up, but mostly it's an annoyance. So universal background checks, it's just kind of an annoyance. And the only people they're really going to catch are the person who lends a gun to their friend to go hunting, lends a gun to their friend to go to a range. And then it just happens to leak out that they borrowed the gun, they didn't do a background check, and that's what's going to get them busted. Because let's face it, criminals, drug dealers, they know they can't have guns. So of course they're going to get them through legal channels, and they're going to skip background checks. So it's not really going to help anything. It's just going to be an annoyance. Right. Which brings us to the second law that is actually inherently dangerous. This is the red flag laws or the extreme protection order laws. Um, what these are is they, okay, in Minnesota, these will go into effect on January 1st, 2024. And what it is, is um, I'm just going to flip to make sure I have the right list. It is going to be anybody in your family, any of your immediate family members, um, anybody you have had a, um, relationship with any of your partners and any of your exes, any mental health professional or any police officer or actually chief law enforcement officer area or their designee. So they can designate any police officer. They can file an affidavit saying that they think you are a danger and as such, you should have your guns removed from you. Now there's two types. There's the emergency one where it's, they serve you. And within 24 hours, you have to dispose of your guns. And then there's the regular one where they serve you, you have a court date, and then they, uh, then after that, you have to dispose of your guns. Now, understand that the emergency ones are the most common ones. And what it is, is there is a trial. They hand a affidavit to a judge. The judge makes a decision, issues a court order. You're not told about the trial. You're not told about what the affidavit says. Literally, you find out after the judge has issued an order. So you get served with your um, red flag order, and now you have 24 hours. You have to get rid of all your guns within 24 hours. And 
then you may request a hearing and then you get to challenge this red flag order. If but you don't get the flag order, your, what? But after you've given up all your guns. Oh, and yes. Them. They, they have to do one within um, five days, possibly extended up to two weeks, depending upon you. They have to serve it to you within, well, no later than 48 hours before the hearing. So it gets to be one of those things where you have to get rid of them within 24 hours. Now, it's not a simple you can hand them off to your friend. You have to hand them over to the police or find a licensed gun dealer who will accept them and will hold on to them for you. Now, you can either have them temporarily hold them or you can have them permanently take them. And they do say, well, police departments have to accept them. But they don't specify whether the police departments have to accept them temporarily or permanently. If you take them to the police to turn over, can the police just go, yeah, we're taking them permanently. We won't give them back to you. And in which case they become abandoned property. And the police can charge you a fee if they wish. Hmm. So it can be, and they're also not responsible for your guns. So if you have some nice collector guns, they can scratch them up with no problem. And it's not their problem. Um, and also, this, that affidavit saying you're a danger throws out most of the rules of evidence. It just can be allegations. You don't have to actually be convicted of a crime. It's purely what somebody says. Um, and so somebody can just basically go, yeah, I say they're a, men they're a danger to themselves or others. Here's why I think so. And they don't have to be true. They can just make stuff up. So what's going to happen is this is just going to become the norm for divorces and child custody issues. Your partner doesn't like you, wants to basically make your life miserable, red flag you. Um, now, what they're saying is, is when you, um, there are also a few other little things. Uh, mental health professionals who are filing these can bypass federal HIPAA laws. They don't have to adhere to privacy laws. This Minnesota law they claim supersedes the HIPAA law. Um, they're waiving the filing fees for it. So they're free. You can just file one on anyone. I mean, I could sit there and go, Troy, I don't like Troy. I'll just file one on him. All I have to do is claim to have been in a relationship with him. And then he can fight it. Sorry, Troy, nothing for Troy and I have not been in a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just using it because he's right there in the middle of the screen. All yep. right. Um, so it's kind of one of those things that you have to watch out there. Now, when they actually look at what criteria they're going to base issuing one of these orders from, um, let's see. I'm going right down the list of things. Uh, they must pr provide by clear and convincing evidence that the respondent poses significant danger, possessing a firearm, and they're going to use the following kind of criteria. Um, history of threats or acts of violence by the respondent directed toward another person. Um, you don't even have to have a history. They just have to claim you have. One. You don't have mm -hmm. to actually have proof that this happened. Um, history of use or attempted use or physical use of physical force. Okay, violation of any court order. If you have a court order to mow your grass and you violate it, that's one of the things that can be used in factoring whether or not you're red flagged. Any court order doesn't specify violent court orders, doesn't specify stalking orders, just any court order. Um, let's see. A prior arrest for a felony offense. 
not charges, not a conviction, just an arrest. If a cop decided to arrest you, even though the prosecutor walks in the next morning and goes, no, we're not pressing charges and releases you because there's no crime, just because you were arrested is enough to trigger this. Um, any violent misdemeanor offense for a stalking, um, cruelty of animals, brandishing firearms, any of those things. And then, of course, they can use these criteria just on whatever somebody says. So let me stop you there because I have a scenario for you, right? Okay, good. Good. Bring up yeah. the scenario. Yeah. So I have a crazy neighbor. Um, and when I say crazy, he's not like the kind of person who's just going to come out and complain about your fence or your, you know, whatever. Like he literally accused my husband last summer of attack of shooting at him with his gun. Like we live rural Minnesota. We have nobody around us. So we can just, uh, we have enough acreage space. If we want to, we can just go out into the back. There's it's all woods and do some firearms training. Right. So last summer, that's what my husband was doing with my kids, teaching them gun safety, going through all the, you know, the things because my, my husband's former army infantry, um, he was a drill sergeant. He did, you know, that's just, that was what he did. Right. Yep. So he knows he's an expert. <laughs> and um, while we, while he was going through that with the kids, a deputy shows up at our house, shows up. And then, like I said, we're rural. So we have everything's gated and fenced because we have cows, you know, so yeah. let himself in our gate and drove up to the house and uh then like confronted us saying that our neighbor had accused my husband of shooting at him, which literally like 10 minutes prior to that, we'd heard random um, gunshots that, and I had been watching like, so I know that it wasn't them. Right. So like yeah. my assumption was it was our crazy neighbor because he's actually yeah. crazy. So my concern is, is that we, cause we have a history with this, with our neighbor, like that these red flag laws could be used against us, you know, because he has a history of making up things about us. B, he, he has a history of being violent. He's had assault charges because he's attacked us before. Um, so things like that. We don't always get a deputy when we're dealing with these, you know, various things. And we've been dealing with this for 10 years. Okay. <laughs> so this isn't anything new. 10 years we've been living next to him. Um, the last time we had to get a deputy involved, the deputy just didn't want to hear it. Didn't want to, he like acted like I was just being like a kind of a crazy lady for, you know, having, he, for him having to get involved with my crazy, my other neighbor at all. You know what I mean? Like just mm -hmm. impatient, didn't want to have anything to do with it. Did, wasn't, I don't know, he was very unprofessional. So sometimes when you're in those situations, you know, you don't know which kind of a cop you're going to get, the kind of a cop that's going to be helpful or the kind of a cop that's going to be antagonistic towards you unnecessarily. You know, you just don't know. So this concerns me because what kind of protection do we have I get for ourselves to keep us safe? And I kind of think that the red flag laws, like there, there is no, there's no way that you can protect yourself. There's no way for me to be able to predict what might happen next? You know, if I have a, a neighbor that's unstable, I mean, what are we in? Cause it's all up to the cop, right? Um, actually it's okay. There's good news and there's horrifying news. Okay. Uh oh, the good news is, is he's probably not in any relationships. So the person no. who lives next door 
can't red flag you. Right. The horrifying news is the cop can. Right. That's and that's whatever. my concern that you just because you never know what kind of a cop you're going to get. Okay. So this, of course, comes down to I'm going to I'm just gonna, tossing this one out here. I used to be a college professor. So just give me a second. This okay. is the thought. Here's the thought experiment for you. Okay. All right. hundred percent. Right. Total of a hundred percent. What percentage should probably be done by immediate family members of red flag affidavits? Who would know the best about the person? What percentage should be done by exes and what percentage should be done by law enforcement? Toss out some numbers. What do you think should be done by close immediate family? Um, in regards to the red flag law specifically, yeah. like just saying nope. that this person's a danger. Yep. Who should be signing those affidavits, which Ooh. should be probably the largest percentage. I would think if somebody, the closest, you know, person that would know them, maybe that would, so they could, you know, they know them. Family. Yeah. They know them intimately, not necessarily like intimately, but you know, they like, they know them well enough to, you know, know their, their habits, their character, their quirks, that kind of thing to be able to make a kind of a judgment call on that. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. And then of course, which, which group should probably be second on that list? Um, then they should go to law enforcement if they have an issue. Yeah. Okay. So here's the scary, horrifying thing. 96% of red flag laws are signed by law enforcement. Mm. And not family. Not family, not friends, not exes, law enforcement. Which brings us to the next thing. Um, it's a free search warrant. Yeah. It's a free search warrant. Because when they do this affidavit, they're going to list what guns they think you have. And they can make it up. So how do they come up with that kind of information? Do they just like, is it just some random thing they pull out of a hat and then just list yep. it all out? If it were a family member, they could say what guns you have. Yeah. But if it's, if it's just somebody random, they could just make up a list. I think you have a shotgun. I think you have a rifle. I think you have a pistol. And that's all the description they need? Well, they will list every gun they think that you have. Now, at that point, you have to show documentation of what you've done with every gun on that list. And you're looking, uh, Troy's giving me the look of what do you mean? What if they don't exist? <laughs> yeah. And you have to basically explain that they don't exist. Now, if, if you've turned in your paperwork saying I've surrendered all my guns to a gun dealer or I've handed over to the police and they look at the list and they think you still have guns, they can get a free search warrant which means now they can come search your house for any gun that they think they're looking for. So if they think they're looking for a small pistol, they can open everything up and look for it. So how in the world is this? I mean, this, this can't be constitutional. So how are oh, they going not. to get away with this? You know, like, I mean, what, what avenues do we have just as normal citizens that aren't creating laws to try and oppress, you know, the people that we're supposed to be protecting? Like, what do we have to protect us in the future? How do we make this stop? Uh, I, okay. Get rid of the legislators who voted for this. Yeah. Literally replace them. Because this has a whole bunch of implications. If most of these are signed by police, it includes a free search warrant. And if, while they're doing the search warrant, if they find anything else, you can be busted. Now understand, over half Minnesotan adults smoke marijuana, mm -hmm. which is a felony, which is not a felony, it's a federal crime. They can bust you for the federal crime. 
if you have guns and marijuana, that's a different federal crime. So th there. Also, we can't really mention anything about police um, searches without mentioning civil asset forfeiture. Right. That's the concept that if the police find something that's of value and they want it, they can take it. And then you have to prove that it's not used, used in a crime from the proceeds of a crime or going to be used to commit a crime in the future or finance a crime in the future. So how do you prove something that doesn't exist? Uh, you can't. Basically what happens is, is they look at a wad of cash, they take the wad of cash, they walk away. I mean, how many, uh, Minnesota, we actually tightened the civil asset forfeiture laws a few years ago. If it's less than 1500, you actually have to be charged with crime. If it's, uh, if it's more than 1500, you don't have to. And I don't know how many times you have 1500 in cash on hand at any given time. I mean, some of us buy stuff off of Craigslist or so, so we have cash on hand. Um, but they can just take it and then you have to sue the police department to prove the negative. And even if you win, your legal fees are going to be more than whatever you lost. Oh yeah. So yeah. effectively, whenever a cop enters your house, you have to face the reality that civil asset forfeiture is a thing. Anything that they find can be a crime is a thing. And so now you have 96% of the red flag laws are signed by cops. They get a free search warrant if they can claim that you didn't turn in all your guns. While they're in their house, they can take anything that's not nailed down. This is all wrong. And understand that the whole system, once they do the search warrant, they kind of got to find something. Right. If they can't find something, they got to make up something or at least figure out how you can hide something or take something because they have to justify why they came out. Yeah, for them, um, that's job security. Oh, yeah. And they're not going to keep getting those warrants if their warrants produce nothing. Yeah. But if their warrants come in and they go, oh, you were going to buy a car on Craigslist, so you have three grand sitting on the city in your safe, well, they'll just take the three grand and you can try to prove that it's not a, a connected to a crime. They don't have I mean, well, you could sue the, like you said, the lawyer fees and all that stuff, but I mean, you know, you know how the police departments work. I mean, they protect themselves, right? Oh, yeah. So there's, as a normal person, you know, what are you going to do to try and fight the police? There's very little you could actually do. Yeah, you can try to get, if you're red flag law, if you get red flag laws, you can fight in the court hearing. When You can request a hearing, fight the red flag law, and they can either do it for 60 days, 60, correction, six months or a year. They can renew it afterwards you can tr you can apply once a year you can request once a year to try to get it terminated the red but flag law what the red flag law yeah if you get a red flag there and, but, and toby do you know who that like to get it terminated does that go in front of a, a court or yep goes in front of the judge who issued it okay and, and i think initially you had mentioned that that decision to start that red flag process you're not involved in there's no notification given to you as the gun owner in that scenario do you know is the gun owner invited to come in and, and give testimony on that or is that once again kind of the secret court <laughs> okay so what happens is is okay try i know i don't really let's say i wanted to red flag you <laughs> i would go ahead i would go to the police and i would sign an affidavit that you're dangerous blah 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 and i'd make a list of what guns i think you have now if i can make up a good enough story they hand it to a judge the judge signs off on it, 
the police show up at your door and hand you the paperwork. And you now have 24 hours to dispose of your gu guns. You have the option of requesting a hearing. If you request a hearing, they'll have it generally within five days. You can ask for an extension for up to two weeks. And then at that hearing, you can try to say that what that, that affidavit I submitted was wrong, false, or whatever. And you can try, and you can try that. Um, but understand that by the time you're in court, you've already had to give up your guns because you had to do that within 24 hours. Now, if I'm really, if the cops are really slick and serve it to you on like a Saturday night, you've got to find a gun shop that will take your guns on a Sunday, which means you there, you'd be calling around really fast to try to find somebody willing to store your guns and take them into in inventory. And then they'll provide you with the receipt and you'll know all that. Um, so yeah, initially for the emergency orders, you don't get any choice. You don't even get to know what's going on. And then in and, that situation where, where I, I give my testimony after they, my guns have been taken and the judge says, no, we, we're keeping your guns. We don't feel you're safe with guns. Later on during that year, I can go back and, and ask again or plead again to get my guns back. Did I understand that right? Once. Once. Okay. You get one petition to try to terminate it. Hmm. And it's, then what? And then it's Well, permanent. then at, at a year... They might have another hearing to decide whether or not to keep it for another year. And then they can just continue this into infinity. And so, um, yeah, there's a lot of big problems with this. I'm just kind of taking a look at some of these things. And I took a look at some of the, some of the rules in here, and I actually have the full text here highlighted and everything. Um, but yeah, it is set up so that it is abusive. Mm -hmm. And it's going to become kind of standard. If you're in an ugly child, a child custody case or a divorce, red flag the opponent. They now have to spend money fighting a red, hiring a lawyer to fight the red flag. And even if they win, they, you can still claim that there had to be red flagged. Yeah, and I could see that going all kinds of, of bad ways in the sense then that could potentially help out the the person that wants the children in the custody battle by saying, "Well, my ex has a red flag against oh, him yeah. that he's not not a safe per." Yeah, and it's not even like this is this is easier. It sounds like to do than trying to get a restraining order. Oh yeah, <laughs> for like for with my crazy neighbor, we went through the process multiple times. We've had four different restraining orders. And that every single time we have to do that, that's, it's a complete process. It takes weeks, sometimes months to get through the whole thing. Oh, and this jumps. Time, yeah. That this is just like start to finish. Bam. Just like that. Um, everything I, else. They have priority in court systems when they're filed. Um, you gotta remember what it was. I think it was like they have, two weeks from the time it's filed before they have to, a judge has to hear it. It, it is fast. And I, I didn't highlight that section, but it's like, this is a, it's, it gets priority within the court system. Um, just glancing to see if I can see where it is. Um, there's no charges for filing once so you don't have to pay court fees. Um, 
if the petitioner does not request a hearing, they don't have to have a hearing. They just can hand it all over to the uh, judge to do this. And where was this? Um, oh, yeah. Uh, upon receipt of a petition for the order, um, the court must schedule and hold a hearing within 14 days. So, I mean, it took you months to do a restraining order. These things, two weeks maximum. Uh, and that's for a normal one. If you want an emergency one, it can be immediate. Toby, so, you'd mentioned, oh, sorry, go ahead, Rebecca. No, go ahead. You're fine. I was going to ask Toby that one of the things you had mentioned earlier as a way to make some changes, vote out the people that voted <laughs> for this legislation, the leg uh, legislation. Um, are you aware of any current gun owner groups uh, filing any lawsuits against the, the state for some of these not, things we've been talking about? Not yet. Um, most of the gun owner groups are currently occupied with the federal level stuff because that's a whole new category of what the ATF is doing and their movement of using regulation instead of laws. Um, but as we had mentioned, a couple things on this red flag law, first of all, that it violates the Second Amendment, obviously, the Fourth Amendment on search and seizure, because it gives them a free search warrant. Mm -hmm. Just just because they say, well, we don't think he had we think he still has guns. So, boom, free search warrant. The other one is, is it's First Amendment. It really stifles the First Amendment. If you start talking, out, speaking out against the police or against your local government, they can red flag you. Think of all the protesters in the defund police. Okay, let's go back to 2020, the Black Lives Matter defund police. What happens if the police department decided they just wanted to start uh, red flagging the organizers? They're, these people are trying to work against the police. They're threatening the police, air quotes, threatening the police. Um, they The police can then issue well, request and then have a judge sign off on red flag orders. And then while they're busy searching the people's homes and apartments, whatever they find, they can use as evidence in other crimes. So I see it as one of those, you can't speak out against your local police department or sheriff because they can red flag you. Isn't I mean, that contradictory? I mean, like the people that want to defund the police typically are the same ones that are pushing for red flag laws. Like, isn't that at some point self-destructive? Uh, I don't think they understand what they're doing. Okay. You don't have to have guns get red flagged. Yeah. You don't, you don't need to have guns. If someone just says you have guns, then that's sufficient enough to get and makes up a good story. And the judge wants to, and the judge wants to, or is willing to sign off on it. Boom. You're red flagged. Now you have to turn over all the guns you don't have, or you have to sign an affidavit that you don't own any guns. And, and all then, they have to do is search your house and find something. Find something. And let's face it, once again, we come back to half of the Minnesotans adults smoke marijuana or use, and that suddenly is still illegal under federal law so that they can arrest you for that. It becomes a simple search warrant. So... So next week, we're going to talk about the cannabis bill with one of the um, officers on our executive committee for the Libertarian Party, right? But yeah. so this conversation is jumping the gun a little bit, but I do want to ask, because we just passed, like, you know, marijuana freedom. Um, so how does that work? 
I mean, you know, there's federal law, obviously, and there's state law, but where does that fall under for this? How could that? Okay. Um, where does it fall under for this? One, you have a, it's still illegal under federal law. Mm -hmm. You can still face federal charges. Okay. Now, most of the, most people will just look at that as kind of decriminalized because normally they would not go after federal charges unless you're using, moving large quantities through unless they really wanted to prosecute you. Um, the big one is, is that if they find a little bit of marijuana and a gun, that is highly illegal under federal law because no person who uses any illegal drugs under federal law can um, own a gun right. or possess or do that. So if they find a little bit of weed in your house and a gun, you're in a lot of trouble. And, and we're Toby, talking federal felonies. You're probably familiar with the like uh, I was reading this a form four four seven three. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Give me about ten seconds to grab a blank one. Okay. <laughs> Are you okay. talking about like for registration or not registration, but when you're doing the paperwork to buy a gun? This is yeah, yeah this is forty four seventy three. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I have I have a bunch of filled out ones right here on my table, but I'm not going to hold up somebody's private yeah. information <laughs> on the podcast. It's right. a forty four seventy three. Quite honestly, what this is, is this is the form used for background checks and it's used for transferring of firearms. First section lists what firearms you're getting, what firearms you're transferring. And it's got space for three, but we can always add additional sheets in the back. Uh, your information, name, where you were born, everything like that. Then citizenship, social security number, race, ethnicity. Then it starts asking questions like, is this your gun? Is this going to, are you buying it for yourself? That one is a yes. Then you're asking, are you planning on buying this gun for somebody who cannot own a gun? Hopefully you answer no. <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody ever answer yes to that? <laughs> uh, when they don't read the question. Okay. Because <laughs> if you answer yes to that, we can't continue the sale. Then it goes on to, hey, are you going to uh, give it to somebody who's a drug trafficker? It's like, okay, generally that's a no. Uh, have you been indicted of a felony of any crime? Generally, that's a no. Have you been convicted a court of a felony? That's a no. Um, are you a fugitive from justice? And then number, then G, letter G is, are you an unlawful user addicted to marijuana or a depressant stimulant, narcotic drug, or any other controlled substance? All right. It's still, uh, and it mentions a warning. Use or possession of marijuana remains unlawful under federal law, regardless of whether or not it's been legalized or decriminalized for medicinal or recreational purposes in the state where you reside. So it's pretty clear under federal law, it's still illegal. If you will partake of it, you may not buy a gun. Actually, it gets even weirder in that when medical marijuana cards started coming out, the federal, um, the ATF sent out a warning to all the gun shop owners that if somebody has a medical marijuana card, their doctor has prescribed medical marijuana, does not matter whether they partake or not, they cannot buy a gun just because they have the card. So mm. if you have a prescription, you didn't fill it, you still can't have it. You still can't buy a gun. It's just one of those weird ATF rules. And Toby, do you know what the penalty is for providing false information on that document? One to 10 years in federal prison. Mm. Oh yeah. Quarter million dollar in fines, but 
one to ten years in federal prison dissuades me from doing mistakes. Right. Quarter million dollars is also rather persuasive. <laughs> it's a lot. Well, of money. yeah, considering how much money I'll lose when I uh, when by going to prison, it's like yeah, um, yeah. I think mm -hmm. I'd rather prefer to stay out of prison. Yeah. Quarter million's bad, but. So this would could persuade people to not seek mental health when they need it. Oh yeah, because so, let's be honest. Oh, yeah. Oh my my husband and I are both veterans. Um, you know, lot lot of friends that. Uh, you know, there's already a stigma kind of attached to getting help if you need it because we are both Iraq War veterans. Um, so, I mean, this just adds an extra layer of complication to, you know, if you're like having a hard time and maybe, cause there's honestly, there's a lot of vets that use, you know, smoke a little weed just to help calm down, sleep, you know, relax, nothing wrong, but it's, you know, because of their experiences in serving country, our country. So if you go to a, you know, because you never know what the psychiatrist is going to be like, too, or the counselor. Oh, yeah. You never know which way they're going to, you know, they don't, you don't know what they're writing in their notes. Yeah. So how do you, I mean, how do people know that in Minnesota feel comfortable being like, you know, I can tell my counselor whatever it is I need to tell them. And I'm not going to I'm, and not be worried about what the repercussions of, you know, being honest in a counseling session just because they're going through a hard time. Um, this is a chilling thing to that. It puts you in that awkward question of you do have to hope your counselor is honest and fair on this one because they can it the law specifically says that they cannot be held responsible if they file an affidavit and they can bypass privacy laws. Hmm. So under state law, if they choose not to file one, they're still immune from liability. So you can't sue the counselor if somebody does go do something afterwards, but it still gets very chilling because it also stops the reaching out for help. Right. If you're struggling one, one night, you call up one of your, family members, your siblings or something, and they freak out and red flag you. A couple things are going to happen. One, the cops showed up, gave you 24 hours to get rid of your guns. And you know what you still don't have? Mental health help. Right. You that just sends want... people into a spiral. Like that's, yeah. that, that just makes it worse, you know, because yeah. for a lot of veterans, the need to feel protected and safe is, you know, pivotal to what they're, you know, what we're going through um, during oh, yeah. hard times. And when we have hard times, knowing that the other, that who you're reaching out to won't make it worse is a big right. deal. And if you just got red flagged by the person who you reached out to, there's, you're not reaching out again. Right. You're yeah. not stupid. Mm -hmm. um, no, so or even if you hear something in the news about something that happened to another veteran, that's also going to be, you know, that's going to, put like walls up of, you know, cautionary um, yeah. things you, you weren't going to pursue because of the ex other people's experiences. There, there is another alternate um, law in Minnesota. that has been around forever. It's a 72 hour cycle. If the police arrive at your place and they think you're mentally ill and dangerous, they can pick you up. Basically they're arresting you. They bring you to a psych unit and you can be locked in for 72 hours. During that 72 hours, you can't hurt anybody else. 
They are watching you for suicide so you can't hurt yourself. And real mental health professionals are evaluating you. At the end of the 72 hours, they release you. Or if they think you're still dangerous, they can hold you for another 60-day evaluation. So if you actually are mentally ill and dangerous, you're getting the mental health care. And you're not able to hurt yourself or others. But that is... but that is completely bypassed in the red flag law simply because they uh, decided to bypass it and go, yeah, well, we're not going to do a 72 hour hold. We'll just take their guns, harass them a bit, make their life miserable and then leave them alone at home. So So how long do we have in the future until this impacts somebody to the point where there, there is a shootout with the police, you know, because the police come to take their guns and they're not going to be willing to give it up. You know, so how far are we from that happening? Um, let's see. This goes into effect in January. I would guess by me- next spring. Okay. Okay, that's well, a hor- I okay, that's a that's a horrible hypothetical. Right. All right. It is. Um, what but it ha- has happened in other states already? Oh yeah. It, yeah. It I was just going to bring up the Wisconsin incident that happened last weekend with the yeah. uh, the I think it was the somebody the wife called. Um, the police on her husband and he, the, what I read online was that he went outside to confront the police when they showed up and he had a hunting rifle in his hand and I don't know what happened from there, but he ended up dead. Yeah. Well, I mean, completely unnecessary. Well, yeah. And let's, let's be clear on this. If, if you're already feeling suicidal, there's nothing stopping you. Right. It's it's a horrible it's a horrible way to look at it. But if they serve a red flag order to you, you have nothing to lose anymore. They're just and, taking the instrument of death out of your hands. Well, or you've got twenty four hours to use it. Right. Um, actually, which is true. Which is horrible. Um, I don't approve of that either. Um, it's one of those ones where I don't think they thought they they come up with this great idea. If we take the guns away, everything will become happy. Um, no, you just abused somebody and then left them sitting there. And so that's a great point. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was just say, that's a great point, Toby, because as we're talking through this, in my mind, I'm trying to grasp the idea of somebody that would, I, I'm opposed to this law. So I'm trying to put myself in the perspective of somebody that would look at this and go, well, this is a good thing. This is why we should do this. And to that point you just made, I, I could see where they're they're thinking of it as a, a helpful way, although that famous, I think it was Thomas Sowell quote about there are no solutions, only trade-offs. And I don't think they fully thought through the trade-offs of, of these and the consequences that can come with it. Yeah. Um, so the idea is, is they demonize the gun and they think that's all by demonizing it and getting rid of it, it solves all the other issues. But if we're, if, it's very clear that this is a mental health issue. Let's get a mental health care and not worry so much about what they're going to use, worry more about getting them the care and take care of the person. But instead they're just shortcutting straight to the instrument. So, yeah. so where yeah. did the hyper focus from the Democrats? Because this is strictly a Democrat thing, right? Like oh, yeah. all the way across yeah. the country in every state, this is you're going to see this from Democrats. You're not going to see this from Republicans. You're surely not going to see this from the Libertarians, oh, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> this is completely antithetical to the Libertarian Party at all at any point. Like, um, anyways, 
So, but where did the hyper focus of from the Democrats for gun control, like where did that originate? How, I mean, it just seems like over the years, this isn't this isn't a new thing. We've never since I've been an adult, we've never had had the opportunity to stop having to protect ourselves from, you know, keeping our Second Amendment rights. But why why won't they stop? Um, it's urban. They don't have a culture of hunting or going out there. Those of us who live outstate, um, we are very rural. Most of us know people have guns. No, well, okay, we know all, everybody has guns. <laughs> we know that they're very common. Everybody expects kids to have hunter safety. Everybody mm-hmm. expects people to understand how they operate and how to stay safe around them. Urban areas that are not familiar, they they think that that is the biggest problem. They see there's a shooting, somebody shot someone, or there's an accident. And so they immediately assume that it's the equipment or the instrument versus it's the person who's using it. And so they're separating those two out and they're deciding if they just get rid of the piece of equipment, everything else will become rosy and happy. Well, it's like they're purposefully not, they're ignoring the self-responsibility people have for their own decisions too. Like, how do you, how do you take that out of the equation? Ah, they took it out pretty quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, of course, we end up with places like Chicago. Mm -hmm. Um, Everything's illegal. So what's the difference between just going full automatic and not? If you look at it, Chicago, there's a perverse, um, there's a perverse incentive for the criminals. In Chicago, a simple revolver, cowboy western revolver is illegal. So, so is a fully automatic machine gun. Okay. Well, which gives you more street cred? The fully automatic street uh, machine gun. Which gets you to a better prison when you get caught? Okay. Do you want to end up in Illinois state prison or federal prison? Federal prison is actually a safer place to be. So go for the machine gun so that if you're going to get caught, you might as well go to federal prison. There is no downside to having the machine gun over the revolver for your average criminal. So that's why it's a... The mafia from the, you know, the 20s from Prohibition and the Tommy gun. That's kind of what I have in my mind. So Chicago hasn't actually evolved very much. Well, then what they did is they moved to Glock switches. You replace the backplate on your Glock with a little switch that pushes the disconnector off. Mm -hmm. And then now you can just fire fully automatic and it works until it jams. But it's like. It's a perverse incentive of all the guns are illegal, so the law-abiding citizens can't have them, but the criminals have an incentive to get the biggest, scariest thing they can find and just spray people during a drive-by. And and don't you find it perplexing that legislators that are passing gun laws don't look at cities like Chicago that have some of the strictest gun laws in the country and go, it's not working? Uh, they still have the idea that if they just perversely outlaw the guns, nobody will have guns. Yeah. And- so is this going to push the market more towards ghost guns? Um, the answer is probably. Um, there's a there's a lot going on that's making people try to stay under the radar. Mm-hmm. Um, I just saw a stat. The pistol race rule went through on the federal level. When the ATF does not have an actual record of how many pistol braces are out there, but they estimate it's about 8% compliance. (laughs) So 
92% non-compliance <laughs> with that law. Yeah. And huh. that's counting all the pistol braces they know of. If you count the ghost guns and stuff, there can be a lot more. And it's kind of a, it, to me, it, I find it amusing. 92% non-compliance. That's, that's actually, um, I mean, good job guys. <laughs> <laughs> it, okay. It does kind of give you some faith in our fellow citizens. That yeah. Some people are thinking enough is enough. Yeah. The, the like, quiet majority. Yeah. And they're staying really quiet. They're staying under the radar. Right. Stay gray. Yeah. I noticed that we're getting a little close to the end yeah. here, but I, I did have one more question that I wanted to bring up. And, and that is, it, it seems like since I've been paying attention to the, the gun legislation over the years, it seems like from the side that is the Democrat side that is looking for more gun legislation and from the side that is in power at this time with the, the Republicans, it seems like I shouldn't say in power in, in the majority, but they, they have more seats in there than us libertarians do at this point. Yeah. They seem to compromise and they, it seems like the, the needle continuously is moving more towards outlawing guns permanently because of the compromises that are made along the way. So I guess my, my question is, what is the, the point of compromising as a gun owner? Shouldn't we stay firm on, on these and say, absolutely not. These are the rights. This is enshrined in our second amendment to the constitution. And we're not compromising on these things like pistol braces, like all, all these things that have come up along the way. I agree. I don't think we should be compromising. Um, but I'm not a legislator voting on these things. And one of the big problems we have are, okay, the two parties currently in charge aren't really working for the citizens anymore. So we're kind of stuck with no compromise. I, every once in a while I run into a Republican who is pro-gun and they point out these red flag laws. Uh, one of the great quotes I got from one of our representatives, he basically pointed out that these laws, when you give somebody a red flag, some people will turn over the guns. Some people will hand the guns to their friends. Some people will go hide the guns or bury them. And then there's some people who will load them. And he's worried more about what happens to the, with that last group. But it's still one of those things that, yes, they, they understand that this is not the direction we should be going in. And I question why they're compromising, and I don't think it's a good idea. Well, when they compromise, they never, we never regain the ground that was lost, right? So it never, every little compromise, we're just losing more and more permanently. Yeah. Instead of nobody's ever trying to get it back. And even if they could, like right now, the Democrats have like the perfect trifecta in Minnesota, right? Yep. And into the foreseeable future, that's how it's going to be. Like how... Even if we could vote, we have the opportunity to vote these people out. But how are we going to do that when the system is rigged against the voting, when they have the mass majority in our state and there's nothing that we can do about it? Yeah. Well, I mean, some... at what point does it come to? And maybe this is what they're worried about. At some point it comes to that voting's just not working anymore. Yeah. Some sheriffs have issued statements that they're not going to be filing red flag laws. They're not going to be enforcing it because they understand how truly dangerous and how bad they are. Mm -hmm. um, whether or not that actually turns out in practical 
applications is a good question. And as far as when you mentioned compromise, the best way I have ever heard somebody describe gun laws and compromise is if you have a cake, let's say I have a full cake and you come up and go, well, you don't need a full cake. Well, I might not need a full cake, but it's my cake, right? So you go, you'll just take half of them. Well, now I have half a cake. We compromised, you took half my cake. What's going to come back is later, you're going to come back and go, you don't need half a cake. You just need a fourth of a cake. Well, it's my cake. So you take a fourth of my cake away. Now I'm left with one little fourth. You come back a little later and go, you know, you just need one slice. So you take all the rest. I'm left with one slice. It's like, why through the action of compromise, I'm left with one slice, but I had a full cake. It was my cake. Um, and so when we're looking at the compromising and gun laws, it's like, nope, they're going to pick at Adam over and over and over again. So, but I don't want to I'm sorry. I don't want to go too long because I know we're people. running near the time limit. Yeah. So how do we start? Um, how do we start a lawsuit? Like, how does how do we get that going in Minnesota? What do we need to be able to get that figured out? I'm not a lawyer. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> we need to find one. Yeah. And it's going to probably end up, it's probably going to require somebody to get red flagged and then it'd have to go up through the Supreme Court and see if we can get some of it thrown out on the constitutional grounds. Okay. But that could take years. Right. So. Yeah. Well, I think that, uh, I mean, it's always a good conversation talking with you, Toby. You're very energetic and knowledgeable and obviously, um, well, I already said knowledgeable. So I was going to say, know what you're talking about, but that would have been redundant. Yeah. Anyways, um, so I just want to point out to people, anybody that's watching the podcast, that if you would like to join the Libertarian Party, you know, be part of us. We're clearly against everything that's going on thus far, um, especially and particularly when it comes to the gun laws and the restrictions and all that kind of stuff. You know, find out more information, lpmn.org. Um, look to joining the party and consider joining on with us. So thank you very much for in coming and talking with us this evening. It's always a good time. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you, yeah. Toby. Consider joining on with us. So thank you very much for in coming and talking with us this evening. It's always a good time. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you, yeah. Toby.